Hey guys, do you have a screenplay you need feedback on? Well, you are in luck. I, Julio, the half of the contrarians that speaks with an accent, am doing official screenplay coverage now. And if you're a listener of the show, you'll get a discount. Just email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com and tell us which is your favorite episode of the podcast and why. Turnaround is about two weeks and you'll get detailed notes that are even more thorough than what we do in the show. Although it'll also be less funny. For more information, email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com or visit our website, wearethecontrarians.com, and click on the Julio Reads Your Scripts link. Your voice is beautiful. Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Be sure to check out The Contrarians on iTunes, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. We're also on SoundCloud, and don't forget about our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter, at JamesAlexMattis, and at Ovnio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Time for the podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Summer of Travolta here at the Contrarians. I made this joke last time, but it's getting hotter and hotter outside, and it's getting hotter and hotter inside with the Summer of Travolta. We might have broke the thermometer tonight. Your headphones are melting in your ears right now. Uh, we're here today following up on uh, Phenomenon with, as Julio mentioned, Look Who's Talking too. It's a movie that has John Travolta in it. It's, it's a sequel. It is a sequel to the, uh, as according to the Amazon Prime description of Look Who's Talking 2, it's a follow-up to the $100 million box office smash Look Who's Talking. This podcast, uh, it's on a tight budget, so we couldn't spring for the Criterion. <laughs> This time we just had to settle for the Amazon Prime version of it. The rental on Amazon Prime. But at least we still have 47 hours to rewatch it as, as much as we want. This is true. Uh, look who's talking to. Again, the name of the game. The star of the summer, John Travolta, is at the at the helm of this. Alongside is, him. Is he at the helm of this? He is at the beginning, but then it becomes Kirstie Allen's movie. I mean, nothing wrong with that. Kirstie Allen, excuse me. Yeah. Um, it, it is not the Summer of Alley, though. No, it's not. So, But she was still in her prime here, so she's got to get her licks in when she can. And then also, for a brief period, Gilbert Gottfried takes over the, the show. And But uh, John Travolta, as part of this, I guess we would call it an ensemble cast, uh, himself, Kirstie Alley, and then the voice talents are lent to us of Bruce Willis and Roseanne Barr. And? Uh, Damon Wayans. Yep. Damon Wayans gets the and credit. Um, inadvertently topical with Roseanne. <laughs> That's my, my contrarian's corner take on this movie is that the origin story is the origin story of Roseanne Barr. That's fair. It explains why she is the way she is now. Amy Heckerling returns to the podcast uh, We probably 20 episodes ago or so when we covered Loser. Uh, she returns with this uh, movie of, uh, obviously, the first one based around Kirstie Alley and John Travolta having a baby. We, as the audience member, get to hear the baby's thoughts uh, because they don't understand the children, if I'm, if I'm correct. I hope not. Otherwise, the movie failed completely. But no, I don't think so. <laughs> 
So what we start off here is basically repeat. We just start back from the beginning. You know, kind of it's uh, the Hangover Two. It's the exact same story all over again, with, with slight differences that make it worth watching. And we get a natural National Geographic esque opening with an explanation of how. Oh wait, 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 don't get ahead of yourself. Okay, wait, I have some. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Various cars quotes here. I was going to say, so you did find some. Julio was struggling to find quotes for this movie. Yeah, I found lots of uh, of names and websites, and then I even tried following. This time, I followed the links, and the websites were dead, or the reviews were already gone. Like, the websites were still there, but... Uh, the Go reviews, away. <laughs> yes, we did not There's no the look movie. who's talking to, and there never was. <laughs> Travolta's been paying off <laughs> these hackers everywhere. <laughs> All these reviews are buried in the desert next to the E.T. game. <laughs> I have three negative quotes. Is this movie at fourteen percent? It's at a very rotten fourteen percent. It's at the bottom of the trash can. Yeah. Uh, Chris Hicks from Desert News, Salt Lake City, says simply a one joke movie that too quickly wore out its welcome. Andrew Beach from Common Sense Media says comedy sequel has lots of curtains, cursing, sex, stereotypes, and then finally, Ken Hankey from Mountain Express, Asheville, North Carolina says why <laughs> come on Fair. Ken we know the first one made lots of money and again it's only 80 minutes so you can't really get too mad about it it's almost it. like why not yeah exactly we're we're printing money here come on yeah uh, so so we're going to now officially Contrarian's Corner mm-hmm. where we rage against the Run Tomatoes score yes. regardless of how we feel if you want to know how we feel just wait for real talk in the second half of the show well, Contrarian's Corner of Real Talk, either or, the opening scene here of how a baby's made is just educational. Uh, I've not, you know, I, I want to know how they made it. I, I didn't grow up here in the States. So uh, back in Peru, the approach to uh, sex education, or at least back when I was growing up, mm-hmm. was nowhere near as graphic as this movie or, or anything that I've seen. You know, uh, whenever you see movies of kids watching videos and. Uh, you know, American high schools, like in movies, mm-hmm. does not reflect my experience growing up at all. Uh, but here, I so, so I have to wonder because you grew up here. So this this opening, oh, I had no idea what it meant when I was a kid watching it. It, but is it does it compare to like a sex ed class, a sex ed video? Uh, well, I never really got sex ed. You know, like. They teach you about sexual harassment and sexual abuse and promote abstinence. Oh, you went to that kind of school. (laughs) Yeah. And that works out perfectly. (laughs) Works out so well that most of the high schools in Texas have daycares for students' kids. Well, they should have watched uh, Look Who's Talking Too. Yes. And then, well, we did at school, and it was the the edited version where it's just basically John Travolta dancing for an hour and a half. <laughs> they also edited out uh, Damon Wayans. Yes, all <laughs> babies the are undesirable white. cast. <laughs> we open up here with how a baby's made. We see the the creation of Roseanne. <laughs> so completely, it's, it's, it's like a self fade. You see Travolta and Kirstie Alley in bed, mm-hmm. and then soft fade to her uterus. Yes, and she provides the voice of her egg, and Travolta, I guess, did like a thousand voiceovers because he's doing the voices of all his sperm, and you can hear him like conflicting with one another, like talking over one another. It's wonderful. And then, of course, as a kid, I had no fucking idea what a diaphragm was, so this is the first time I've watched this since I was little, and I was like, oh, that's actually pretty intense. (laughs) 
The diaphragm doesn't do its job, though, and that's kind of why it's been discontinued as a birth control mechanism in that one of the little Travolti get through and impregnate Kirstie Alley, and Roseanne is created. Yeah, uh, it's... uh, I mean, as far as secret origins go, it's it's not bad. It has the the sufficient creepiness factor, um, which grows later on when we see her actually in the womb. Yes. Um... When Jim Henson lent one of his puppets to be displayed on screen. One of the discarded puppets. (laughs) But it is very educational and intense. Uh, It does create their daughter, Julie, who is voiced by Roseanne Barr. Uh, We get a picture painted of Travolta, Jimmy, and Allie, who plays Molly. She's the breadwinner of the family. She's an accountant. He's a, I guess... I didn't really know that there are like wannabe pilots, like you know, like a kind of in Austin you see wannabe rock stars and stuff. And so he's like a fly by night, trade by day kind of guy. He's paying, he's a, a taxi driver to pay the bills to hopefully become a pilot one day. And then he uh, at night he goes to uh, open mic flying bars. <laughs> he just goes and waits for someone to pick him to do a flight for him. Molly's parents hate John Travolta because he's not an accountant. They're very mean to him. Uh, He's kind of an asshole, though. I think that if I was oh, married yeah. to Kirstie Alley, I would be nicer. She puts up with a lot of shit from him, and I think it's up. It, it's on Travolta's talent mm-hmm. that he's so likable, and yet here he manages to be not likable for so much of the movie. Yeah, and then you know at some point he dances, and you forget everything. Exactly, you, you understand why Kirstie Alley is still with him. The plot of the first act is basically them informing Mikey that he's going to be a big brother and the internal dialogue of Mikey accepting this fact and kind of curious of what all this is going to entail. In his mind, though, it's going to be wonderful. It's a lot like The Simpsons where Bart flashes back to what he thought when Lisa was going to be born and just nothing but sunshine and rainbows. So for us, in the summer of Travolta, this is the reunion of Travolta and Bruce Willis. It's Butch and Vincent. Right. But in the real world... This was the genesis of that partnership. This mm-hmm. was the first time. This is where were... the resentment started. Right. It now, started to build. if you're watching Travolta's movies chronologically, uh, when you get to that scene where Travolta calls. The Pop Tart <laughs> scene. Oh, no, excuse no, me. No, no, no. Punchy. <laughs> punchy, punchy. Yeah. When it's like slow motion, punchy palooka. Now everything suddenly has extra layers of meaning because, of course, Travolta was changing Bruce Willis's diapers. Due to the financial constraints of the relationship they're in, Molly and Jimmy have to uh, switch off and on of taking Mikey to work with them. And it creates issues for both of them. Uh, One of which is I was right about Paul Schaefer being in this movie as we get a shot of Jimmy doing a cab ride. And I said, hey, that's Paul Schaefer. And Julio's like, no, it's not, you fucking idiot. And my sister was watching this with us, too. I'm sorry. I'm just very bitter about this because when the end credits rolled, it showed that it was Paul Schaefer. Hey, I pointed out that it said Paul Schaefer. You in the did. Credits. So you, you, you had already given up. You acknowledged my uh, right. vindication. I'll have to wake my sister up to tell her what's up. <laughs> Mikey creates issues there at the accounting firm. Uh, Kirstie Alley's boss just absconds her for bringing her child to work. Uh, poor man's Steve Carell. Kind of. Like a yeah. taller, skinner, skinnier. I, I went for poor man's Rick Moranis. It's a mix. <laughs> Just Steve Moranis. <laughs> but they're struggling. It really does shine some light on the struggle of the American family, especially, you know, just as relevant as it was. This movie came out uh, 28 years ago, as it is today, of, you know, love and the desire to create a family, but the economy's shit, and, you, you know, it's a scary time. 
Yeah, I, I was honestly surprised they didn't freak out more when they when she got pregnant again. I guess mm-hmm. we skipped over that part, yeah. right? They have sex. We realize that the, the diaphragm didn't work. And then literally the next scene, she's already pregnant and they're fine. So it, it was – I mean, I haven't seen – unlike Alex, I haven't seen the first Look Who's Talking. I have seen bits of it back home in Spanish. So I, it's almost as if I haven't seen it. I own and, the VHS trilogy they released that still had the scene of Grado <laughs> shooting first in it. <laughs> Travolta shot first. Travolta shot. That's why first. he's not allowed to fly anymore. Hey, Mikey. <laughs> so I, to me, I was coming into this this relationship, but this dynamic between Travolta and Kirstie Alley, pretty much fresh, mm-hmm. right? So to me, in the first ten fifteen minutes, they look like a functional couple. They they have sex. They're potty training Bruce Willis together. That's right. But, we forgot to mention that that becomes like one of the prevailing. Stories of the entire movie. Yeah, that's the Bruce Willis subplot here. The story arc of Bruce Willis is learning how to piss in a toilet. Yeah. Uh, and then... Uh, when you gotta take a piss. <laughs> you get what... I mean, let's not kid ourselves. This is this may be Contreras Corner, but I'm not even going to pretend that there's an Oscar script for Travolta here. <laughs> He's doing what he can. He's working with what they gave him. <laughs> right. But but if you were to pick like a highlight, you know, well, there's one later down in the movie. But this one, where he's trying to explain to Bruce Willis how to use the, the potty training mm-hmm. potty, uh, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. It's funny. He keeps trying to figure out what to call piss <laughs> without offending Kirstie Alley. Oh, and also <laughs> not like compromising his man values. <laughs> I'm not going to say pee-pee. <laughs> And then, and then, of course, ends up in a song and dance number. It does. John Travolta for Look Who's Talking To. They would show him in the crowd just like Joaquin Phoenix when he was nominated for the Master, just shaking his head, not wanting to be there. Dude, they, they finish their big musical number ends with them singing uh, the Beastie Boys. It does. Uh, well, at least a, a cover of that. A, a, a cover. They do a, a P. But. <laughs> a P reference. In the style of the it's, Beastie Boys. It's urine-based. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, oh, but what, what I was going to say is that, so, so far, so good, they look like a, you know, an okay couple. They literally can finish each other's sentences, because, like, they clearly did not rehearse that pee-pee music number, but they were able to, like, pick up and go at it together. I know, like, Kirstie Alley starts singing, and I don't know what the fuck she's doing. Yeah. Like, I didn't know what they were doing until they got to the Beastie Boys, but Travolta knew the song, so... Yeah, that's you think that they're great, and then, and then the strain of having two kids starts mm-hmm. weighing on them. Even before, just strain of having one kid and her being pregnant again, and uh, and you see through the movie them arguing. It's almost like every other scene where they're together, they're having a fight, and it's real. It's real. That, it, it, but then it hit me. They're like, oh, it's they're one of those couples. Mm-hmm. You know, you all have friends that are like that, where the whole dynamic of the relationship is that they're always arguing. Yeah. And yet they're always together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you keep waiting for the breakup, and it never happens. Now, this movie's so great that it actually gives us the breakup. But, like, with those said friends, there's always the, the, <laughs> get back the rebound. Yeah, yeah. The, the bouncer back. Um, eventually, as you do at any point in time, this labor goes by pretty fast, and after nine months... Uh, or not labor, excuse me, pregnancy goes by pretty quickly, which leads to the labor. Uh, instead of just going the traditional easy route, though, the movie kind of takes a stance, and young animatronic Roseanne has the umbilical cord wrapped around her neck. So um, a very real concern that a lot of parents face. That their kid is an animatronic. <laughs> well, that first, that your kid's going to come out as a 
Muppet reject version of Roseanne. And then two, that the umbilical cord will be wrapped around this animatronic's neck. Uh, which leads to her having to have a cesarean, which... Fixes both problems, because the baby comes out looking <laughs> like a baby. <laughs> it comes in uh, uh, that magic passage of Kirstie Alley. Uh, for a movie that I believe was to be marketed towards kids, this seems pretty visceral. <laughs> there is a lot of blood. Yeah. And the movie acknowledges there's a lot of blood, because Travolta passes out. And, and, like, the doctor, like, takes a handful of, like... Something tissue. <laughs> tissue away, and then the baby comes out, and it's all good. But I mean, we definitely took the scenic well, route getting there. Well, it's not all good. I think that these are all sort of subtle clues that this kid's gonna grow up fucked up. I mean, this kid grows up to be Roseanne. Yeah. So, like I said, this is the Roseanne origin story. She has a difficult birth from the very beginning. She almost dies. Yeah. Uh, they get her out like at the last second. I mean, her her animatronic eyes were just closing, and she's like, "At least I achieved all my dreams, or something." And then it's fading to black, and then she comes out. So. And then she's immediately taken from her mother by the because it, they need to be incubated. Talk about being this is not even graphic, but but visually, it's kind of jarring how you see it from her point of view, and it's just multiple shots of Cristiali receding. Mm-hmm. You know, just. Fading away, this kid being taken from her mother. Much like her television show. <laughs> just fading. If you if you play that scene backwards uh, in the, the background noise, you can hear John Goodman. <laughs> My notes here. C-section. Julie is born. And all is well. And we go about, and it, probably, I think we jump ahead here probably four or five months. Because Kirstie Alley finally has the confidence to basically take her the Julie out to the park. Um, because we're introduced to the literal token black character of the movie, Eddie, who's voiced by uh, Damon Wayans. So a little bit of real talk mixed with with Contrarian's Corner. As we're watching it, there's a part of me that's just, one, dreading that there's not going to be a black character in this movie because it's so old. Mm -hmm. And by old, I mean, you know, it's old enough that... But also hoping that there's a black character to in the movie. To keep up with your Travolta narrative? Exactly. Yeah. With, the, with, the, with the Roseanne Barr, like, oh, this is what, what happened. And it really, you know, it's uh, this black kid voiced by Damon Wayans, who's friend of Bruce Willis. And they they both take the little baby car. It's called a stroller. <laughs> we'll never have kids. <laughs> <laughs> Don't need to learn that. Uh, they take the stroller and, and for about 10 seconds, they kidnap Roseanne. Mm-hmm. And thus, <laughs> the seed of racism my hatred towards black people was, was planted. I like Damon Wayans. I thought he did a good job of the voiceover here. He, uh, he's the ladies' man, the, the delight of the night, and uh, definitely styling for the time, too. Yes. Well, also, I was going to say he is the movie's take on the stereotypical wise black man now mm-hmm. there's a wise black baby because he teaches bruce willis the ins and outs of of just getting out of diapers how to yeah how to use the bathroom how to talk to women things of that nature definitely something uh that bruce willis could use at this point <laughs> in his short albeit life i took note here that i mentioned it about eddie the character but man kirstie alley the style in this movie is just on point i did mention to julio that every scene in this Kirstie Alley could just be someone in Austin, Texas right now, like with all her wardrobe. But I really thought, especially, I kept the glasses, you the glasses, but like everything she wore, especially in the middle portion of the movie, I kept just thinking like they just recycled this for like the first season of Friends for the Rachel character to wear. 
Because it would have been like four. When did Friends start? Ninety four. It was. It's a lot. I always feel like it started in like ninety eight, but uh, it was a lot earlier than that. It was. It went on for early eight to, seasons. But it was one of those that there were like long, staggered times in between because it ended in like oh two, oh three. Really? I I don't know. I I never really watched it in real time. I would feel like I was like at least one season behind. Well, okay, then my question is the the wardrobe, the 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 visuals of this. Right. Does Kirstie Alley look like Rachel Green? Yes, it's the Suspiria of its realm. <laughs> I mean, Kirstie Alley looks great throughout the entire movie, but it is the summer of Travolta, and I have to say, Travolta does not look great in this movie. He it, his big scene, which we'll get to later, is when he looks the most oh, Travolta-esque. That's when he sheds all the, like, shlubbiness that's been put on him by the movie. But I understand. I mean, when when, when you're a dad, you have no time to look cool. Friends ran from 1994 to 2004. Ten years. Yes. So it's ten seasons, not eight seasons? I think it's eight seasons, but like I said, there were long periods of staggered <laughs> time, especially when Chandler was getting sober. They pioneered the, we'll break this season in two halves bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't that what, uh, what's the big one? Game of Thrones? Didn't they do that recently? They were waiting for the second half of the last season. Okay, so it's on the last season? Well, it will start next year. Yeah, we got a big, like, Y'all got gap. some patience. It's good. As good as this movie. Travolta, yeah, they try to shoehorn him into these roles, like, of the pilot, the taxi driver. I appreciate what they're trying to do and make him the John Everyman in this movie, but Travolta is a fucking star. I don't buy him as a taxi driver. I don't buy him as a pilot. I know that he has his own personal taxi driver, an own personal <laughs> pilot. If this movie did have a failing, and that's if it had a failing, it's that they try to shoehorn Travolta into these positions that he doesn't need to be in. Well, much like we like we talked about in the last episode of Phenomenon, right? Where Phenomenon, he's also playing the everyman. And mm-hmm. I think that Phenomenon benefits from him having aged. Mm-hmm. So with no matter how talented he was when he was young, age gives you more experience. It gives you more ways of using your your ability. So I think that Phenomenon, he's also surrounded by a stronger cast and better production values and everything. Mm-hmm. This movie, I think part of its charm is that it looks like like, he got shot in the weekend, mm-hmm. and, and it's like, there was no makeup person. There was, I mean, Christy Alley, I'm sure she was looking It looked great, like it was never shot on film. It was just shot directly onto VHS. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, and so, I, I, the, the Travolta's, they make an effort to, to dim the, the star power, you know, uh, uh, Travolta's star power. They adjust power. the hue on Travolta. <laughs> yes. In, in the result is that he looks unkempt, mm-hmm. but I don't know that he looks... He's not awesome third act of Phenomenon, 5 O'Clock Shadow, and his PJs, Travolta. Right. It's more like, it looks like, like like he showed up for the rehearsal. Yeah. You know, and he never went into the trailer for the actual, like, dress and makeup, you know, before he goes to shoot. And yet, because it's John Travolta, it still works. He he still makes you care, and it's, even though he's being an asshole, you still feel bad for him. Yeah. And, you know? So so good good for him. So, where you have been wrong... Saying that Travolta does not have an Oscar scene. Oh, what did I forget? Uh, our next uh, sequence in the film is when the serious fighting begins. When he tells Mikey he can watch a cartoon, 
Kirstie Alley says, I don't think so. They get into a fight. They go out in the hall. They're yelling. It's a typical New York scene, which I appreciate. You know, like a, like we talked about, this movie was filmed in Vancouver, much like Friday the 13th Part 8. I think only one day of filming was in New York, but they had to make sure they got their New York stereotypes in there. So, the so they're fighting were- in the hallway and then, shut up, the both of yous. Woody Allen walks by the background. <laughs> just dumping trash in the hallway. <laughs> When they go back in and the babies are watching them fight, and then we just get a, a static cut to Travolta going, why did you just put me in a fucking dress? <laughs> I honestly forgot about that. Powerful. <laughs> I remember the fight. And, and the fight is good, but I was also thinking, I mean, we're like four, five Travolta movies in, so it doesn't compare to the, the Oscar The competition the is stacked. Right, yeah. right. Even, uh, even Battlefield Earth. We're, I don't know if we've talked about this on air, but we're going to do the Travoltis, right, at the end of this? where we. Oh, no, we had it, but now I love it, and there's no way that we're not doing it. Okay, cool. <laughs> Travoltis? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I can't. <laughs> or the odd uh, G's. <laughs> Again, for a movie that, to my understanding, was geared towards kids, Travolta screaming fuck is pretty intense. Uh, well, it's like it, hearing your pastor like, say fuck. Yeah, but also, it's it's just a very real fight. I can see kids watching that and drawing parallels with their, overhearing their parents fighting and now realizing how serious it is, right? Well, now realizing the cultural and gender insensitivities of what Travolta is saying. <laughs> Years later, decades down the line, there's like this subconscious thing that bubbles up. You just yell at your wife, well, you put me in a fucking dress, oh my god. <laughs> well, I identify Travolta. as a woman, so thank you. No, I saw that. That was the best thing I saw on the internet today was if... Uh, I said, uh, the Sandlot 2019 remake, you play ball like a girl. Well, I identify as a woman, so I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> Still haven't seen that movie. Oh, I always I, I forget the, that. I know the line. I know the line. I, I just don't understand. Okay. That, that's non-podcast related. <laughs> I'm going to kidnap Julio the night before his wedding and make him watch <laughs> The Sandlot. That's what you, I should have done before your citizenship test, <laughs> is make you watch The Sandlot. Moving along... Um, we get racist Casey Jones. We've heard throughout the film of the character of Stuart, who is Molly's brother. Uh, it was referenced several times by Jimmy Travolta as the screw-up of the family, always calling, begging for money. Uh, he bursts in the frame. He's like Kramer. He knocks on the door, and he's there to crash and get money. But his first line is something about damning, I believe it's the Orientals, how they're taking over the country. Yep. And, uh, and a few scenes later, he shows up with a gun. And goes no, he's hole. always lo- he's got his gun at all times. And again, baby Roseanne is being exposed to all these things. Yep. Yeah, he goes on a, on a big speech uh, later on about you know what you're gonna do when when the world goes to hell and you have to defend yourself and take stuff from people. And it's like you need a gun. Well, he has like two separate lines about just condemning liberals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's another part where he he didn't get a job and uh, he comes back. He's like, oh, and I was applied to some liberal. Organization. Cry baby organization. Yeah, yeah. I, it's. I, let's call uh, a Trump voter a Trump voter. He would have voted for Trump. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> That's, and, and and the movie actually gives him sort of a redemptive arc, where you go from being like, "Man, I hate this guy," to, "I hate this guy, but he means well." <laughs> Which I found personally that that's how I, I've come to be about a lot of Trump supporters. It's like, yeah, he voted for Trump, but man, he can make a good burger. <laughs> he voted for Trump, but he was trying to catch that burglar. <laughs> the Trump life has been a hard one on Casey Jones. As this was only two years after the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film, 
And he's aged considerably since then. And what's the actor's name? Uh, Ilias Cotius. And he's aged much more even since then. Yeah, or maybe he's just that great of an actor. He just metamorphosizes into... He chameleons into whatever he's doing. He was in... Uh, Jones, he doesn't need the, the attention. No. He was in Shutter Island, right? Uh, I don't remember. He's in a lot of stuff. He was okay. in Public Enemies. I do remember that. I always get him confused with that other guy. And you probably do, too. Um, Rory Cochran? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the guy that's in one of the CSIs or one of the laws, Law & Orders. David uh, Caruso? No. I, of course, don't even remember his name. Who's in Man of Steel? I couldn't tell you if it's Ilias Cotius or if it's this other guy. But you know who I'm talking about? He's one of the, like, special ops. Uh, Chuetel Ephaphor? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> no, I have no idea who you're talking about. I got him for a while when I was younger. I used to get him confused with Rory Cochran, but that's here nor there. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's Rory Cochran that's in Public Enemies <laughs> after all. <laughs> During all this, the, in- the invasion of Brother Stewart and Roseanne, Julie, being exposed to these... Horrible views. It's basically just chaos when he gets to the house. Travolta's pissed. Uh, Kirstie Alley's all excited that her brother's there. Mikey is left unattended. And he's in bed and he thinks, maybe I need to go to the bathroom. And he goes and he try- He just looks at the toilet. And it's this big scene of, uh, you know, it's like when Neo comes face to face with uh, Agent Smith. Of, you will not rule me. But then fucking Mel Brooks comes into play. Neo wouldn't have been ready for that shit either. Yeah, Mel Brooks and, and the animatronics make a, make a comeback. Uh, it's this one scene in the movie. He makes sure he makes the most of it. it it's kind of a shame that the toilet, because it's, it's a basically a talking toilet. And yeah. It's a shame that the toilet doesn't look more like Mel Brooks just to drive the point home. For real. Like, it, it should have just been, like, Mel Brooks with, like, a, like a fucking, uh, what's the, like a silicone head over the top of him. We've seen him do crazier shit in his own movies, so oh, yeah. he, he would have done it for this. I have no doubt about that at all. Uh, but yeah, he's just yelling and spewing and spitting toilet water at the little kid, demanding that he gives him his pee-pee and he's going to bite his tush off and all these things. Again, pretty graphic. Yeah, but definitely enough to scare a kid away from using the toilet. I don't want to use the toilet tonight. Luckily, you have a yard. <laughs> That's true. I'm a man and I have a yard. I can just go out back. We get a bit more into Travolta as a pilot here. There's been mention that he's a pilot, and it's been so long since I've seen the first one. I can't remember if it plays a bigger part in that at all, and Julio has not seen it at all to speak of. Uh, But we get him, I guess he's like a chauffeur-type pilot. He's giving these private rides out, and but it's not a fulfilling life. Well, He's a lot like Lewin Davis playing for the basket at the gaslight. Yeah, but it's also, going back to him being good at portraying this character as unsympathetic because uh, so he's a taxi driver originally. The mm-hmm. movie opens. He's driving a taxi. We don't see him flying anywhere, right? And Christiali feels bad for him and says I wish that he loved this job as much as I love mine. And Travolta he's a complete asshole and tells her you don't love your job yeah. and make, makes fun of her. And then his in-laws, Christiali's parents get him a job flying planes mm-hmm. which is no I don't matter know how, how you, you do that right and, and no matter how you look at it it's an upgrade and yet he finds a way to bitch and whine about it anyway <laughs> so he flies and Kirstiali is like was it great did you love it and it's like no people were assholes they were complaining and now I have to fly again because I'm just basically on call all the time he doesn't even 
acknowledge that he's probably making so much more money. Well, and also, I don't know where he's going. He's just kind of there. He, he He's like, I'll be back later. And then it shows him landing in New York City, but we don't know where he's been this whole he's time. He's just flying in circles. Yes, giving private tours of the city. It's a massive uh, improvement on his life, and yet he's still complaining about it. And... Again, if it wasn't John Travolta, I would have turned on the movie at this point. But it was Travolta, so I was okay. He returns home after a weary night of flying, and this is where we mentioned that Casey Jones' brother Stuart just fucking pulls a gun on him. He's coming into his own apartment, has a gun pulled on him by uh, who he refers to as Travis Bickle, which is a nice throwback to the contrarian's lineage that we've done. Oh, here. yeah. yeah. It's good to, to Taxi see Taxi driver, the- for those of you that may be confused. What's the the... Michael Scott line, where he's like, he quotes from movie. Oh, you talking to me? Raging Bull? Pacino. (laughs) (laughs) They get into a fight in bed, yeah, Travolta and Kirstie Alley, not Travolta and Casey Jones, but... (laughs) That would have made a hell of a movie. It would have. Uh, But this is just what you think it would be. He wants that guy the fuck out of his apartment, and he's mad about it, and drops some unbelievably insensitive line about maybe he'll feel better if he goes to the top of a tower and shoots a bunch of nurses dead. Me and Julio are both just like, whoa! <laughs> this movie, every time I would just finally settle down and be like, it is, you know, I would forget the latest shock and mm-hmm. I would just settle back into, oh, this is just a kid's movie. Uh, it would pull something like that. <laughs> and then Travolta does this almost as insensitive is the fact that he he grabs a pair of scissors and just cuts the sheet that him and Kirstiel have been fighting over. He mm-hmm. just cuts it down. And that's... One, excellent symbolism for the the crumbling of the relationship, but also just so mean. But in a moment of great acting, you can see on his face immediately he's not happy that he did it. Yeah, and, and Chrissy Alley, too, not to like undersell her, because she... So Travolta looks regretful about what he's done, and mm-hmm. Chrissy Alley looks like, well, fine, if that's what you want to do. And then she puts her arms right next to her, <laughs> her body, yeah. kind of like to say, well, this is my sheet then. It's, it's pretty pretty good stuff. We get introduced to Gilbert Gottfried's character, who is just basically like the kid wrangler at this big, massive jungle gym these kids can play on. It's called Kids Gym, something like that. Yeah. I guess where you take your kids just to run around, run around and be crazy if you don't want to take them them to the park anymore. Expel their energy. And we get a bit more banter between Eddie and uh, Mikey about how to go to the bathroom, how to pick up women, things of that nature. Gilbert Gottfried literally just playing himself here, hating life. The seat. I don't know that I have seen him in any movies. Uh, I've seen him on TV shows and not even like actual fiction TV shows. I've seen him like as a as a star in Hollywood Squares or something, and and I know him as Yago. Yeah. Right. So in my and mind, the Comedy Central roast of Bob Saget. Right, but there. even then, he's Gilbert. So to me, Gilbert Gottfried's always Gilbert Gottfried or Iago or Iago. It, it's it's all the same. One has bur- one has uh, feathers and wings. The other one doesn't. But in personality wise, and but same here. I guess Amy Heckerling and him were dating at the time because he's just being himself. He kind of sticks out in the movie. It's a breath of fresh air how blunt and uh, curt he is. But but it's like also you're you're. If you were listening to this movie on headphones, this where you like turn it down a little bit because he's he comes in hard. He has together this and his next scene maybe about three minutes of screen time altogether. But those, you know, those are putting the the like it's the Brandon Curtis principle here on the Contrarians podcast. You know, it comes in with a bang. Eat the mic. Just, <laughs> just go in there. Uh, but the fighting is at an all time high. It reaches its apex here. They. 
I can't even remember it much like, you know, relationships. I don't even remember what they're fighting about at this point, but Travolta just finally packs up and leaves. Oh, he, he makes the crucial mistake, and I, I, I love the movie for this because it was just so true to life. He makes a crucial mistake of issuing an ultimatum. Oh, that's right. Either... You've lost. When you issue the ultimatum, you've already lost. Yeah. No matter which way the answer goes, you already the fact that you had to resort to the ultimatum means that you, you've lost control of this. And he tells Cursiali, it's your brother or I. The ultimato, <laughs> as they say on community. <laughs> then he's packing up his shit and he leaves. To Cursiali's credit, she doesn't pick one or the other. She just says that's not fair and Travolta just, yeah. Right. She she's like, she says you've already lost because you've issued the ultimatum. Just get the shot. Travolta packs up and leaves. It's tough times for the family. I don't remember their last name. <laughs> the Travolta family. The Travoltis. Oh, they're like it's it's some like really Italian. Oh, something. it is. It's like Buttafuoco, but it's not. It's yeah. I remember they showed on Julie's. Uh, uh-huh. Her incubator and yeah, it's something yeah. super Italian. Let's say is the Buttafuoco. The Buttafuoco's. Travolta takes off. We, we do get a, uh, a day date he has with the kids where we see his thriftiness on full display. He's figured out a way to manipulate the movie theater system into getting into free when getting in for free when he has it, his kids. That with wouldn't him. work these days no. anymore. He, it's reserved seating, so he wouldn't he wouldn't be able to just sneak in. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I was looking at this scene, probably the most unrealistic moment in the movie. Uh, he has two because crying he gets babies. Free popcorn. <laughs> yes, but also because he has two crying babies, and the the man behind the counter is like, "Yeah, sure, go in." <laughs> like, sir, you're gonna have to leave the kids outside. <laughs> you can chain them to that pole over there. Uh, but this scene also goes to show that he would just be an awful parent on his own because we go from the movie to the next scene where the kids are completely lathered in chocolate ice cream, head to toe, just uh, covered. And he's, to be fair, the words he's saying do not resonate with them. Right. Roseanne's already thinking about guns and distaste for uh, minorities and ethnics alike. And Travolta's just like, hey, this ain't your fault. And these kids are just looking <laughs> off into space. Yeah, Too little, too late. But what these tough times do do are build a bond between Mikey and Julie. I think any resentment they had towards one another, just basic sibling rivalry off the bat, a lot of that is quelled during this time because they realize they have to watch each other's backs because their parents may not be there for them. Um, there is, I guess there is also an arc for, for the Roseanne character, uh, which is she, by the end of the movie, she learns to walk. Not even the end of the movie, right? It's like three quarters of the way in that she learns to walk. It's it's all the movie is so dismissive of her mm-hmm. that it makes sense that her big climatic scene wouldn't be in the climax. It would be like before, and it's something that almost everyone misses, right? It's just Kirstie Alley sees it by accident. Yeah, and uh, but that also would like go the to... second season of Roseanne. <laughs> it would be. It explains, you know, when you've been neglected because there was so much more drama going on while you were a baby then you would strive to get the spotlight so hard yeah when you were an adult so it, it, it all fits back at the kids gym the junior gym i can't remember what it's called it does have a really catchy name but this is where we where travolta comes to life where the fire burns bright this is where where, the, where, where we see we see him through the eyes of Ali. the neutron star that is john travolta is once again on screen in the in the year of 1990, when he was considered box office poison, he brings to the table what he's about. Tarantino watched this and was like, 
I got some writing to do. He comes in and he's trying to help Gilbert Godfrey just, you know, wrangling these kids and get them under control. And then just out of nowhere, Elvis comes on the PA system in this building wherever they're at. And Travolta does this incredible dance number. And he's fucking Travolta. It's, it's, it's not even a little bit of dancing. It's the movie full on stops so that Travolta can dance. It's a full number. Right. And it's not like, oh, dancing with the kids or you're being silly. No, it's, this is professional choreography dancing mm. going on around the gym and the kids are kind of in the background but yeah. for for these precious two or three minutes probably like closer to two minutes it's not even a full song but it's Travolta's movie well this is where Kirstie Alley realizes fuck I gotta wrangle this guy back because oh, he's yeah. like in his tight pants he's got his good slick shoes on it's almost like he lost weight for this one scene <laughs> it, yeah, oh no! The, when they do the the profile shot of him, like on the side of the building towards the New York City skyline, when you see him twisting and <laughs> grinding and jiving, it's like, God damn! Yeah, he, he looks svelte. He's I, Danny Zuko again. Like we said in the phenomenon uh, uh, episode, there is no way that he actually lost weight. So it's just the costume department mm-hmm. dressing him schlubby and then dressing him better, and that that makes all the difference. Uh, but yeah, you you get a couple of key cutaways to Kirstie Alley who starts rolling her eyes at first Mm -hmm. and then by the end she's just she has she's perspiring oh yeah she's just she grabs because she's been oh my (laughs) she's been having these wild daydreams and illusions of him uh doing better without her yeah basically thinking that he's out there cheating or what he could be doing buying new cars things of that nature uh so this definitely serves as a reminder that you know he didn't just do that for him also. He was showing off for her. He wanted to show that the goods were still there. And she reciprocates. In the next scene, she gets really jazzed up in some nice little ditty and you know waits for him to come home. And uh, as we mentioned, man, I mean, the Kirstie Alley's attractiveness level has become like a big punchline. But, man, she's, she brings the bacon in this movie. She, she's competing against Travolta. Like, prime I know. Travolta. Yeah. Uh, uh. If not at box office success, at least. <laughs> it's like Brothers when you had Jake Gyllenhaal and Natalie Portman on the same screen at the same time. It's like, holy fuck. There's too much beauty for one world right now. Kirstie Alley, she, this is something that I would condemn the movie for, if not for the fact that it just it's depicting what a toxic environment the Roseanne Barr baby is growing in, right? Because It shows the baby eating makeup. Right. <laughs> she neglects Roseanne so that she can primp herself up. And then she just basically leaves her self-esteem, her pride at the door. And she's just telling Travolta, hey, just take me back. Yeah. And Travolta has the nerve of turning her down. Sorry, baby, I have to fly. (laughs) But in an all-too-real scenario of the stay-together-for-the-kids type feel, they are immediately – the connection's back. When Mikey's able to successfully use the toilet for the first time. Yes. The, or pee-pee in the pate, as they like to say. They start a conga line around it. Yeah, a conga line that includes uh, Casey Jones and his new girlfriend. Oh, the happenstantial best friend that we forgot to mention. Yeah, not Rosie Perez. I thought it was Rosie Perez throughout the entire movie. Then we got to the credits, and it wasn't her. It's a friend of uh, Kirstie Alley's who just kind of moves in halfway through the movie because she was her apartment was robbed she's a a boy crazy uh hungry to get married very stereotypical 90s side female character probably the the one character in the movie that just didn't get any special treatment like any twist to the stereotype or anything no she's just she's just there I, i mean the most interesting thing about her is that she finds casey jones 
attractive and interesting. After he pulls a gun on her. Yeah. yeah. Weather gets real bad in New York, and it's time for another Travolta flight. Uh, Molly tries to talk him out of it, talk him off the proverbial ledge. She's watching the news, hearing how bad this is going to be. And Travolta's just, you know, he's set in his ways. He's not going to hear any of it. She actually goes down to the tarmac and fucking gets on the plane to stop him from flying. And it turns out she was right for doing so because the flight's immediately canceled when she gets on there. The power of a woman's intuition. It's true. Uh, I like that twist to it, that it's not just her, like, hopelessly running back to the man. She cares about him, but she's right through all the scenario. That he's being an idiot and that he shouldn't do this. And he gets proven wrong also. They finally reconcile for good in that cockpit. But it's not even... I like that the movie doesn't try to give you the illusion that, well, now they're this couple that's going to be fine. Because mm-hmm. even as they're saying that they love each other and accepting it, Travolta is like, oh, he says, okay, you're right. Are you happy about it? And she's like, I don't need to be happy. I don't need to be right all the time. And Travolta's like, yes, you do. And yeah. he's like, yeah, they're going to keep arguing for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. But they make each other happy. Some couples, that's that's, yeah, how, they, that's, that's how they work. That's their fuel. They just, the moment that they haven't argued for a while, that's when... When things get fragile. Speaking of fuel, Molly left Stuart in charge of the kids back at the apartment. Uh, a cat burglar breaks in because it's New York City. Just living there, you're just taking a gamble. Uh, when Stuart goes to chase him off for attempting to steal some jewelry, a big old fire starts in the apartment, and it's just Mikey and Julie left in there alone. Yeah, the movie very subtly proves that, well, Guns because he pulls a gun on the guy and it mm-hmm. still doesn't stop anything. It doesn't fix anything. No. And and instead, you know, he chases and there's fire and guns don't kill people. Fire kills people. Well, and for all this movie went through and Casey Jones's character of explaining, you know, this gun's going to be the only thing to save me. You know, the only thing better than a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. He has the gun against a bad guy. He doesn't do shit. The guy just fucking like, eh, what are you going to do? <laughs> he is. He shouldn't have had a permit. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> Casey Jones has no business owning a gun. No. So Stuart is off chasing this burglar. Again, the fire begins. Mikey, to his credit, like a badass, just puts uh, Julie in her little rollaway cart and just has no issue getting out of the apartment. It is a John McClane origin story in a way. He just gets out the door. He figures out how to operate the elevator, and they just meet Molly and Jimmy down in the in the lobby. He's not even crying. Neither of them is crying. They're no. just... Cool as cucumbers. Cool as could be. Cool as a cucumber sailing on the Antarctic. And then Travolta goes upstairs and finds a fire extinguisher and puts out the fire and then celebrates. It's like the most Travolta-esque moment of the movie where he puts out the fire and he's like, yeah! It's also the most realistic moment because he has to look at the instructions first. Yeah. Which is exactly what I... Every time that I look at a fire extinguisher, I was like, oh yeah, I should know how to use these. Because one day I might need to use one. Yeah, he's like standing there in the billowing flames, and he's just like, ah, I can't see. But he finally puts out the fire. He escapes. It's reminding me a lot of the end of uh, Mixed Nuts, just because it's like just chaos with all these police officers around. And but everybody, everything works out. Everything works out exactly perfectly. Everything's good with Molly and Jimmy and Mikey and Julie, the Botafucos, and then Stuart and the happenstantial best friend are going to get married. They yeah. decide they're on the spot. She's so impressed by how he didn't save the day. But somehow he got – oh, because he tackled him. The guy, the burglar's arrested. Yeah. Then we cut to at – again, everything's just okay. So we're back at Molly's parents' place for a barbecue or a picnic. I don't know if people in New York really know how to barbecue. <laughs> Julie and Mikey have this discussion about what it's going to be you know, from this point going forward, what life's going to be. 
the most bittersweet moment in the movie. Not, I don't know how intentional it was, just because we know, much like when you're watching Solo, and you know that, oh yeah, this is Young Han Solo, but what the future holds for him, mm -hmm. you know, he's not going to keep that smile on for too long. And here you're watching these two kids, and you know that one grows up to do a good day to thy heart, and one grows up to be Roseanne Barr. It's the end of Revenge of the Sith. Roseanne just, goom, goom. <laughs> no! Yes, Roseanne Barr is a terrible human being. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but Mikey tells her he's going to take care of her, and they have each other. And then, of course, Sonny and Cher's You Got Me, Babe, plays, which is such a great song. But can you tell me the number one thing that, what do you think of when you hear that song? I was trying to figure out while we were watching it. I was like, I somebody singing it, but I... Groundhog Day. Oh, no, that's not... Oh, okay, no, because that, that's the song that's every the song morning that goes off oh. on his buzzer, yeah. There is a, great there is song, a movie where two people are singing it in one of those terrible karaoke scenes. Ah. And I, it'll bother me until I Google it, and I'll do that when I get home, probably. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that was... That we were talking. <laughs> we were so the the answer to look who's talking to. Not that it's a question, but the, yeah, the, is Roseanne Barr. Roseanne Barr still talking? <laughs> look who's tweeting. <laughs> look who's tweeting too. <laughs> look who's tweeting now. <laughs> look who's not on the air anymore. <laughs> no, that's, that's the the final movie in the quadrilogy. <laughs> I don't know. No, because there's already four of them. So. It would be the the return of the Jedi of its of its franchise. <laughs> okay. Would be look who's canceled now. <laughs> All right, it is the summer of Travolta. Let's get off Roseanne Bar for a moment and uh, let's go to real talk. Yeah, beforehand, let's just close it on that. Let's just fuck Roseanne. Terrible person. No need to actually bring up in real talk because this is how we really <laughs> feel. This is going to be more about Travolta and the movie itself. Uh, just as I thought, just a regular old toilet, huh? What do I tell Eddie about this? Eddie and his bonehead ideas. Hey, you! You little pisser! I'm talking to you! Oh, no! What is that? Hey, you're supposed to give me some pee-pee! Where's that pee-pee? We're talking about pee-pee here! I need that pee-pee! Oh, no, Mr. Toilet Man! Listen, I've had it with you. You better give me that pee-pee! Give it to me, or the next time you sit on me, I'm gonna bite off your tushy! Yes! Yes! <laughs> and we are recording for Real Talk now. Look Who's Talking 2, released on December 14th, 1990. Bafflingly enough, it was a Christmas movie, despite having nothing to do with Christmas. It's the, the, the Christmas present of having Travolta and Kirstie back. Get right under the tree. Uh, in my vague research of this one, there was barely any trivia on IMDb. I couldn't find what the actual budget was, but box office was under $50 million, so half of what the alleged smash made. Not alleged, the first one did do really well. Uh, again, directed and written by Amy Heckerling, also written with uh, Neil Israel, starring John Travolta, Kirstie Alley, Bruce Willis, Roseanne Barr, Damon Wayans. Olympia Dukakis was the happenstantial female best friend. No, 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 no. Olympia Dukakis is the mother-in-law. Oh, excuse me. Well, then she's not credited. <laughs> it, it has a... I, I know I saw her in the credits, and that's when I figured out she was in Rosie Perez. Okay. As you mentioned, Mel Brooks provides the cameo voice of Mr. Toilet, uh, Elia Cotez, uh, Casey Jones as Brother Stewart. Uh, let's see here. Oh, and then, yeah, the one piece of trivia that you and I discussed was uh, Richard Pryor was originally supposed to do the voice of Eddie, but depending on what you believe, either he was ill or read the script and was like, fuck this shit, I'm out. Or maybe he actually did the voice and... And it was just too edgy for a movie that's that's edgy. It was too edgy. I mean, I the way I figure 
this happened, like the I don't know. I haven't looked at the behind the scenes footage, but this looked to me like they just gave the kids a vague idea of what they were supposed to be doing. And moving then, their mouths. Right. And they're like, just hang out here or, you know, just laugh or cover your mouth or whatever. And then they put Bruce Willis and Roseanne Barr. And just ad-libbed. And just yeah. ad-libbed, right? That's there exactly was, what I got to. There's yeah. no way they could have scripted what they, like, had them. Yeah, because, well, I would think had them say. If, if it was scripted, I would hope it would be better. It just feels like, okay, we're doing what we can with the footage we have, right? Uh, <laughs> I got a hammer. <laughs> Um, fourteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, <laughs> much like uh, phenomenon, when I uh, disagreed with what the prompter was telling me of how long it was. <laughs> this bad boy clocking in at eighty-two minutes. It somehow a movie that's less than an hour and a half drags. It's it's pretty brutal. It's it's rough. It earned all of that fourteen percent. Yes, but before, before, before yeah, I was about to say before I start launching into it. One, we're getting into real talk now, which, as we've kind of explained in past instances, this is where we really feel, as you can tell by the title of the segment. <laughs> uh, and then two, who the fuck liked this movie? Well, there were besides only... me when I was a little kid. <laughs> there were there were two fresh tomatoes on mm-hmm. the you know on the app and one of them was one of those things where uh uh i i looked on the website because it didn't provide a quote so then i looked on the website and uh and the website's still there and it has reviews it's it's obviously an up-to-date like it had a review of solo uh but then i did a search for look who's talking to and redacted <laughs> yes error <laughs> uh, 404 not found yeah so then the other one was from Entertainment Weekly, and it didn't really list who the author was, but it also didn't have a quote. So I went to the Entertainment Weekly website, and I did a search for Look Who's Talking To. And there, Owen Gleiberman, on December 21st, 1990, at 5 in the morning, he posted his review. This will give you some context. The kitty movie juggernaut rolls on. First, there was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Then, Problem Child and the breakaway smash Home Alone. Now, elbowing their way into this month's pack of big gun releases is the film brandishing the mightiest kid pick credentials of the year. Look Who's Talking To, a sequel to last year's wisecracking baby hit. So it's grouping Look Who's Talking To with the first Turtles movie, Problem Child, and Home Alone. Yeah, I was going to say, the first Turtles movie is a good movie. I don't even know that it's a kid's movie. I wouldn't. It's a teenage movie. When I was watching as a kid, I remember going, <gasps> when Raphael goes, damn it! <laughs> um, and home, fuck off. <laughs> Don't put this shit in the same stratosphere as Home Alone. Uh, now, I guess what would have been his quote in the in, in the app is him saying, Travolta and Ali continue to bring out the best in each other. Their marital spats are just believable enough to give the movie some heart. I mean, kind of. It's not the worst part of the movie. So the the main thing I kept wanting to say to you the entire movie that I held in just because it would make for good conversation, the most, without question to me, the most baffling part of this movie is that it was a PG-13 movie aimed towards an older audience. Yes, because it defangs it. 
Yeah, I mean, you could easily imagine how much money they could have made if they made like a G movie based off this bullshit. <laughs> I thought you were going to say if they made this radar. No, 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 no. But I mean, like, it's supposed to be geared towards a younger, childlike audience with like the jokes and whatnot. Yet they're saying fuck, and they have that. <laughs> One, the opening sequence of how women get pregnant, and then two, the rather graphic C-section scene. But then, but you said it worked on you when you were a kid. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, the fact that my parents let me watch this does not speak for <laughs> all. I'm just saying, I don't know why they went out of their way to establish it as a PG-13 movie when they could have just done PG and probably made more money doing that. Because they get a lot of complaints about, uh, you know, little kids being traumatized by all the gore yeah. and, the, and the crazy puppets. The C-section. Oh, God, that terrifying animatronic of Roseanne. Uh, yeah, it just baffles me that they chose to continue on and go out of their way to make it a PG-13 movie. See, I'm the opposite way. Well, maybe. I'm not thinking box office-wise. I'm thinking pleasure-wise for your audience. I mean, I guess kids are getting a kick out of it no matter what. But an adult audience, if you went R-rated with this kind of story... Right, and you can actually let the Bruce Willis and Roseanne and Damon Wayans be actually funny doing the because yeah. that that was the worst part of the movie for me. The kids, they're I, not funny. I don't find them cute. I don't find them funny. It's really distracting that they decided to make it look like they're talking. It's like just don't. I, I prefer it if you just don't have them move their mouths, just so it, it actually it looks like It sounds like their, their internal dialogue, right. yeah. But here, it was just, like, bad dubbing over foreign language movies. <laughs> Dude, it, that's the main vibe I got, too, is, like, old Japanese movies, just, like, um, Wayne's World 2, when they do that scene with them. Uh, Very well. <laughs> that is your cost. Uh, yeah, Bruce Willis kept going over and over. Uh, you know, he would keep talking, and the... Uh, kid's mouth was already closed. Yeah. Or he would stop talking and the kid's mouth was still moving. It was just annoying. But that's like Sloppy, minor... lazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, I mean, I guess you could say that about a lot of this movie. And I don't want to say lazy because I'm sure that, you know, people were doing what they could, mm-hmm. right? But overall, it didn't feel like a movie that... What I said about Travolta's appearance in the <laughs> in Contrarian's Corner, it's kind of true. He, I don't know what they're going for with... with Making the... him schlubby. Right, but it doesn't really look like schlubby on purpose it looks like accidental schlubby (laughs) Uh, he's not john travolta pretty much yeah i mean maybe he's miscast you know except he looks uncomfortable yeah okay actually i think that's it right because he he got on 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 stage i was gonna say he started dancing doing the elvis number and we both looked at each other and i said he came alive yep we're 60 minutes into the movie and he actually looks that like was a, hashtag my travolta oh yeah, yeah yeah definitely the rest it just it really looks like a, like a table read yeah he's just there and and you know he's doing the bare minimum and and you can kind of like well why would he do any more than that yeah because <laughs> he's surrounded by all these really cheesy jokes about you know oh the kids and are talking and they're very just late 80s early 90s stereotypical characters of a movie yeah yeah i, I was not crazy about his relationship with cristiali mm-hmm. and maybe if the movie acknowledged that it's a little bit toxic i would be fine with it yeah but it's just like oh he treats her like shit and then well he cries and or she cries and then he he decides to oh well i'm gonna stop yelling at her for a little bit and then he breaks up with her 
and and she has to basically beg him yeah. to come back. The whole thing is kind of icky, seen through the prism of 2018 yeah. <laughs> adult eyes. Uh, obviously, if you're a kid, you don't care. And no. if you're in the 80s or 90s, early 90s. Well, every movie needs a villain, and in this movie it was Kirstie Alley. <laughs> so. Well, no, it was it was Casey Affleck, Casey Affleck, Casey Jones. <laughs> Casey Affleck is today's villain. <laughs> Oscar winner <laughs> villain. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think that the Casey Jones thing, it's also, I don't know, I... There are times where I just can't get past plot developments or, or character decisions, and I don't understand how Kirstie Alley's character puts up with him, mm-hmm. even though it's her brother, and I guess she loves him and whatever. But that guy is just a loser. He's a loser. He's obnoxious. He's also he's pulled a gun out. Right. He's the worst kind of person you could have around two kids, and so it doesn't make sense. No. Even though she's the nice one in the relationship, it doesn't make sense logically. Travolta's right. How protective she is of her kids, like right? Yeah, it, 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 it like betrays the character for her to be okay with all that shit. Yes, and you would think that at least the movie is gearing towards either her realizing that her brother's a loser and needs to go, or the brother redeeming himself and proving that oh maybe Travolta was judging him too harshly. Yeah, right. It, neither happens. the The brother proves that he's a loser, and uh, they can't take care of kids. They have to rescue themselves from a fire. Right. And th- but then he's still part of the family and Kirstie Alley just embraces him. And, of course, this is me probably way overthinking this movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Amy Heckerling did not anticipate people dissecting this movie that much. Right. But she's made so much better stuff. Oh, yeah. Right? If you tell me that this is from the woman that did Clueless, she did Fast Times too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Fast Times. And uh, even Looser, which we were not crazy about, but it was at least – a movie coherent <laughs> yeah, yeah a movie that had something to say and whatever this is this is what i thought actually halfway through this movie i said this is another 48 hours ooh you know cuz i i don't know about the look the first two look who's talking but i'm inclined to believe that it's better than this it has it has an original concept that at least it it <laughs> Did what it could with, and and maybe surprisingly <laughs> endearing performances from John Travolta and Kirstie Alley, and a chemistry, a comedic chemistry, or whatever. And then two years later, they're like, "We need to milk this cow." Yeah, give me a sequel. Exact same thing. We'll just add Roseanne Barr. You haven't seen Tommy Boy, right? No, we watched Black Sheep. Yeah, because yeah. I was gonna say you could also make the analogy that it's Black Sheep. Except I actually laugh in that, but now I'm just thinking of Travolta going, "Hey, it's the Iceman." <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's actually a really good comparison. And, and there's I, a third one. There is from like 1994. I, I've never seen it. Um, much like there's a third Home Alone. Well, it doesn't have Macaulay Culkin, so. But to your point of just like milking things, yeah. But yeah, at this point, Travolta couldn't say no either. He was in the as we the famous phrase we've used here before the box office poison. I mean, fifty million dollars is nothing to shake a stick at, but I couldn't find the budget. I can't imagine it being too much less than that. I mean, yeah. Mel Brooks, yeah, that ain't a cheap ticket, baby. Uh, yeah, it's it's lazy. Um, it's not incompetent because obviously, like we you just said, Amy Heckerling's not an incompetent filmmaker or anything like that. Uh, Again, Travolta at 20% is still better than most people's 100%. 
it's just especially already we we made a huge mistake watching pulp fiction this early into it because we can compare everything to that and like see this is what he's capable of right but alex we also watched battlefield earth i know it, 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 you would think that but that, it was it, that was perfect your scheduling of watching <laughs> you know the apex and then the the doldrums right you would think that that gives us uh uh you know, we got the bottom and the top, and now everything else will fall in between. That, I, w- I was listening, re-listening to our Phenomenon episode after you ab- edited it, and that's what it said. We need to figure out a ranking scale, though, where Battlefield Earth is clearly separated, because like, we don't want to put it next to movies and make it seem like it's as bad as that. And it's not. Travolta looking uncomfortable, just uh, who knows where he was in his career, his life, whatever at that point in time. He just, to me, it came off like he didn't really care about being in the movie. Right. We've seen everybody involved in this movie, including Amy Herkerling, uh, do much better stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, Casey Jones, Kirstie Alley. I was telling you, I saw, uh, I oh, I mentioned in the podcast, I rewatched Wrath of Khan a few weeks ago, and that was her film debut and whatever. Uh, it, cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Right. It's like, but you trace lines from those people's careers and at their Even highs. Even Bruce Willis is doing this. voiceover work. Exactly. Yeah. It was like, and. and you know, that might be the biggest letdown because I expected it to be kind of a mediocre sequel. Oh, that's right. You had never seen it. I keep forgetting you have never seen it. The original, right. But to me... You've whenever... never seen this either, right? No, I've yeah. never... This is my first full-on exposure to the Look Who's Talking franchise. I'll probably be the last. But <laughs> I I remember thinking... You rem- opened the vault. <laughs> goes back in the vault. Um, I remember hearing about how hilarious Bruce Willis was and how... Uh, how creative the whole thing was and how that was that was really what put the, the movie – whenever I remember hearing about Look Who's Talking, it's not, oh, this is the John Travolta vehicle, the Christy Alley vehicle. It's about, oh, it's the funny baby with Bruce Willis's voice. Which could be true because, again, we didn't watch the first one. Right, right. right. Yeah. So coming into this, that was probably the biggest disappointment mm-hmm. that Bruce Willis is not funny at all. In, it, it, and neither is Roseanne Barr. I mean nothing with the kids made me laugh. I, I'm trying to think of anything I've ever laughed at with Roseanne. That's a complete side story, but like I, I think I was too young to grasp the concept of Roseanne when it was hot, and now I watch it. I'm just like, yeah, it's just a family of white trash. Like, I mean, I love John Goodman, but I'm trying to think of anything she's done that I really find funny, and I, I'm blanking. But that's here nor there. No, you can look up that video of um, where she's singing the national anthem, and uh, I've seen that. Yeah, it's not funny, but it's. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, do you remember a game for PlayStation from like 98, 97 called Apocalypse? It was the game that starred Bruce Willis. No. Oh, dude. Like actual Bruce Willis? You played as Bruce Willis? You played as Bruce Willis. It was like um, Armageddon. Hell was happening. Like hell was coming to Earth. And But I, like that's that's the measuring stick of Bruce, <laughs> Bruce Willis voiceovers because he does the voiceover for the character and everything, but... It was one of those late '90s video games that like made sure. Uh, did you were you a PlayStation or an N64 kid? N64. Okay, not even a kid. I didn't get an N64 until I moved to the states. I was in my early twenties. <laughs> <laughs> I was a Super Nintendo kid. Okay, so yeah, when I got my first PlayStation, I was either eleven or twelve, so I was still a child. Um, here nor there. Uh, this uh, apocalypse game, like. Yeah, you're Bruce Willis trying to. I think you're trying to save the president from the devil or some shit. But it was one of those perfect. Who's the devil played by Oscar Isaac? He's all blue. (laughs) (laughs) 
but it was one of those late 90s games with the PlayStation because you could use like uh, CD quality audio and like videos and shit. <laughs> so like the voiceover is really crisp and then they like just like fucking shoehorned in like System of a Down and all these like bands from that time period into it. Uh, but any chance I get to talk about that game, I do. Um, Better than uh, Locus Saga. That's what yes. you He's Locus not Saga just going like, oh, I got a flamethrower. <laughs> oh, it poked me in the eye. It doesn't sound like he's winging it. No. And that's, yeah, to me, exactly what you said was they put him in a studio a la when they go back and rehash porn. Uh, <laughs> and, and then basically he just, they're like, okay, call it like you see it. And then he does that, and then they took it back about a second to make it mash up with real-time footage. Right. And, yeah, I don't know. They could have just put Roseanne in a room with a box of donuts and said, just say shit. But, you know, I don't know. We'll just edit it. We'll just... Yeah, we'll, we'll make it up. We'll make Because the... all they did with that poor little baby girl was just made her cry all the time. She she cried. She put shit on her face. Mm-hmm. and uh, And then she walks in her biggest moment in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> that almost no one sees. Yeah. Including us. Because <laughs> you could just be zoned out by the time it happens. But still, man, Travolta, Bruce Willis, Kirstie Alley, and like I'm just Roseanne, 1990, family oriented film, Christmas time, still only made 50 million. Really speaks to, and again, as we point out consistently on here, 50 million is more money than I will ever see in my life. <laughs> but also knowing how that industry works, not a good sign. Yeah. Uh- but so again, what does it say that he got a sequel? I want to say it was a direct video, but I don't. Oh. I don't know if that's true or not. But again, I can't imagine this movie cost much to make. The most expensive shot was probably the fire, or no, the the Mel Brooks toilet would have been the most expensive shot. But I don't know the the the, the opening with the. The egg and the sperm and all that stuff. I mean, that's well. You know, there's some franchises like that. They do that. They they know the sequel is going to underperform, but they're going to recoup it when they release this, the third one or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that could have been the thought process here. It's just it just did crazy business in China. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. The like the Iron Man three principle. <laughs> we don't give a fuck what it does in America. Once it gets to Asia with the 3D, it's going to be fun. It'll be like the biggest. Asian star doing the voiceover for the, the two Lewis. of Look Who's Talking Two was in 3D, like <laughs> popping out of the poster, and that's why everyone went to see it. Yeah, it's bad. It's um, it's not Battlefield Earth bad. Will it, anything ever be in in Travolta's chronology? No. But at the same time, were you more engaged with Battlefield Earth than you were with this? Because I was struggling to to just keep looking at the screen. And therein lies what makes a movie, what makes art. That's I mean, Battlefield Earth was a fascinating catastrophe to watch. G.G. Allen, <laughs> uh, I, I like. Um, what's a good example off the top of my head? Blake Shelton, like a country artist like that. So much more of a talented musician than G.G. Allen is. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I'm not engaged in it. Gigi Allen, I'm like, God, this is a fucking train wreck. Hell yeah. The same thing, Battlefield Earth. I'm just like sitting on my hands on the edge of my seat, just like, oh, God, what could possibly happen next? With this, I'm just like, fuck, this is only 80 minutes long, but I just want to get it over with so me and Julio can talk shit about it. Yeah, it's it's not good. Um, you know, the question that must be posed every time we watch a movie that's this bad, is it worse 
than, than Christmas with the Cranks. Yes. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say Battlefield Earth again, but no. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> I actually had to pose myself uh, this question several times because a few days ago, as you saw, uh, I tweeted, I, I was bored, and I I actually did the, the list on Letterboxd of all our movies, all the movies I that we covered. And, yeah, how are those arranged? Uh, based on your ranking? Based though? on my ranking. Okay. Yeah, yeah, So the number one is the one that I feel is the best out of the ones that we covered. And the last one Because I know is, I disagreed with the ranking. Well, I figured that's why when I posted, I mentioned. Oh yes, I, I remember what it was because you had fucking ready to rumble as second to last. <laughs> uh, no, the ready to rumble. Do I have it under Battlefield Earth? You have it second to last. I know that the last is Christmas with the Cranks. Yeah, and I saw a fucking the iconic ready to rumble poster next to that, and I was like, <laughs> "Fuck this guy." Did you see that? Speaking of which, David Arquette's talking about coming back to wrestling. I, I saw you posting stuff about it. Uh, um, he. I can't remember if I talked about this on the podcast, but like all the the wrestling stuff we had done with uh, our WrestleMania bonus episodes, uh-huh. they were like all kind of represented in New Orleans at WrestleMania this year. Because uh, Tina Ferrari, who was known in the WWE as Ivory, went into their Hall of Fame over the weekend, WrestleMania weekend, and so like at their fan fest, they had all of her old glow stuff, like the crown and all the old glow gear. And then David Arquette was at one of the indie shows, and he like jumped the rail as a fan and tipped over some guy on a ladder. And then uh, they had Kevin yeah, James. No, Please not Kevin me. James. Oh. That's MMA. That's that's not that's real. true. Did we have it as a? But it was still a WrestleMania. No, it wasn't a WrestleMania. It was, it was uh, before I went to Vegas for that Conor McGregor fight. Oh yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, and then they did like the whole homage to Andy Kaufman and Jerry Lawler again here nor there type shit. But uh, yes, Ready to Rumble is a lot better than you give it credit for. But my favorite was Ashley's comment. Like he was a wrestler, and I was like, "Bitch, he was a world heavyweight champion." I ready to rumble. You know, I did this. I, I it was pretty fast and loose when I was just adding them. But I'm just giving you shit because you don't have anywhere near in the same galaxy appreciation for wrestling as I do. So that's why, like, that movie's so like as a movie, it's so so bad. Right. But as a wrestling fan, like, there's I'm just like. Mouth open, the Homer donut Jeff. Just feed me, man. <laughs> yeah, but but see, doing that list and just this goes back to what I just asked you: Is this movie worse than Christmas with the Cranks? <laughs> Let's get back on task. No, here. no, 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 because it's all related. Yeah. It's I, I'm I'm doing this list, you, and, and I knew you know when I added Christmas with the Cranks, I put it all the way at the bottom. But then every time I added a movie that was bad, I had to ask myself that question: yeah. Is it worse than Christmas with the Cranks? And it, it was just, it's what we just said, you know, Battlefield Earth. It's technically it's a mess, right? It's just like every decision is the wrong decision in that movie. Is it worse than Christmas with the Cranks? No, no, because I had a better time watching Battlefield mm-hmm. Earth, not the way that Battlefield Earth intended, you know, me to have a good time, but a good time nonetheless. Christmas with the Cranks, I was just bored in the way that I was bored with Luke who's talking to. Having seen you know movies like Casablanca, Gone with the Wind, you know these classic movies, and my ability to acknowledge their place in film history, how they're good. Who's good in it? Clark Gable, Humphrey Bogart, you know, all these things. Does not change the fact that 10 times out of 10, you give me the option to watch Friday the 13th Part 7, Jason Lives. Instead of that, I'm going to do it. Knowing how terrible it is, but it's more entertaining and I'm more engaged in it. Right. So the thing is... this, this Part 7 is um, <laughs> the new breed. I'm sorry. Jason Lives is Part 6. Uh, I guess what I haven't quite... Because like I said, I 
put the list together very quickly. Yeah. I didn't really settle on this is going to be ranked by how these movies make me feel mm-hmm. or this is going to be ranked by how well made I think these movies are. Right? What, what because do we have as number one? Do you remember? I, I put Bullets Over Broadway, which is not a surprise if you're looking at it as no, ranked as by you. me. Because I was like, that's a great movie that I love that says things that I care about, all that stuff. I know you had Modern Times as number two and then like – that was it. I didn't agree with Bullets Over Broadway, but with Modern Time at number two, Modern Times, excuse me, I, no argument. <laughs> I had it at number one for the longest time, uh, and then at the last moment, like I switched it because of how I get, much I love Bullets Over Broadway. I remember being surprised at how low the player was ranked because I remember we had a really good time watching that. Oh yeah, but it's just did you see what's on top of it? I mean, yeah. It, and, and trust me, we uh, covered. Oh yeah, a bit of ground. <laughs> uh, that thing you do. At one point, that thing you do was like really high, and then As it, should be. it hurt me every time I had to like downgrade <laughs> it because you would just watch it go doo. right because I was like, "It's Taxi Driver." I mean, yeah. it can't be under that thing you do, but I'm more likely to watch that thing you do than Taxi Driver. So to get back <laughs> to, get to back the nucleus, to the, yeah. of this entire podcast, Look, eventually we're gonna have to ditch the Contrarian's name and just call our podcast "Is It Worse Than the Christmas with the Cranks." <laughs> Because that's, that's what it always comes to, and the answer is always going to be no. <laughs> <laughs> You're telling me that you had a better time, marginally better time, watching Look Who's Talking To than you did watching Christmas with the Cranks? Yes, and part of that could be that I saw it before, so I knew when it was going to end. With uh, Christmas with the Cranks. <laughs> Excellent point. I just Excellent point. <laughs> I just didn't know when it was going to end or why it kept going. I also... You know, Christmas with the Cranks is – this is the way I rationalize it. It's a newer movie, like a more recent movie. Mm-hmm. So it has less of an excuse to be as shitty as it is. Yes. This is like early 90s done with like – I don't know where Amy Herkerling was like on her career. But, you know, we know that Travolta was struggling and, and it's kind of like – you know, it's it's these people that probably were not working under the best conditions. A rush sequel, you know, studio mandated or whatever. Uh, Christmas with the Cranks – it's at least professionally feels like it's people working at their peak, yeah, right. And they still uh, there's no excuse for that movie to have the scenes, the grading Jamie Lee Curtis that it has. So the, the, it the plot. <laughs> I know you always bring up the plot, and to me that's like I mean it's really dumb, but that's the least of its problems. <laughs> if it if it was entertaining with that same plot, I wouldn't care. I guess that's true. I'd, but yeah, if it, it was Travolta instead of Tim Allen, Kirstie cool. Alley instead of Jamie Lee Curtis, now now we're in business. <laughs> now we're talking. Uh, it's man, yeah. No, with this, or oh, besides knowing it's going to end, like when that's to come for. Um, it's shorter. It's shorter. Kirstie Alley's really hot. Uh, <laughs> and again, that's just me talking from a, a guttural position of things that are entertaining <laughs> about the movie. This is what I'm forcing you to. I put you to this corner. I, I backed mm-hmm. you to this corner where you just have to just go down to your... Not kidding. The Travolta scene where he dances is cool. Oh, yeah. It, it's like a fun little scene. I, I, I was completely forgetting about that. I, yeah. That question shouldn't have even been asked. <laughs> that that dance number by Travolta is better than the entirety of, of, of <laughs> Christmas, Christmas the with crank. the Cranks. Yeah. Well, that dance scene, too, It's especially now watching it, especially with what we're doing, it's so funny because it's just like this whole... Yeah, bitch, I'm still John Travolta yes, thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's at the time, I think, if you're you're watching in the early 90s, it has to have been like a painful reminder of 
oh, this guy, why is he doing this? Like, you know, the dad who took his kid to the movies to watch that and is just groaning through it the whole time. And he's just like, oh, fuck. It's transported that's, back that's to Saturday, Saturday Night, Night Fever. <laughs> Saturday Night Fever, not yeah. live. Anyway, no, not worse than Christmas of the Cranks. I don't know what we could do that would top that. Don't tempt fate. We still have. Well, look. No matter what we've ever done, you and I have found ways to kind of joke and enjoy something. With Christmas with the Cranks, we were just fucking Videodrome staring at the, staring at the screen, just fucking waiting for sweet relief to come. Speaking of Jamie Lee Curtis, though, the trailer for Halloween drops this Friday. Oh. Did you see the trailer for Suspiria? No. I saw people posting it. Yeah. I haven't seen the original Suspiria, so I don't think it's going to like hit me anywhere near as hard it is. I'm shaking my head. I hope the microphone's picking up how hard I'm shaking my head at Julio right now. How have you never seen Suspiria? Come on, man. I, generally, I'm not a horror person. Uh, but you're a film person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that uh, I know that I need to catch up on. Um, it's like me. I've never seen E.T. So What? Yeah. That's not even like... doesn't have to do with being a film person. That's just being a person. She never came up. <laughs> the last time I started E.T. was with a lovely young lady i was dating in college it was like you've never seen et well watch this and we watched about five minutes of it that's even worse <laughs> that's disrespectful to <laughs> steven spielberg desecrated et <laughs> um did et come home that oh <laughs> well played sir well played no i it's over there in the big movie selection you could have fooled me because you've made E.T. jokes before. That's the point. It's so, like, embedded into the lexicon of American pop culture that, like, you can... I, I get all the references and right. shit. Um, yeah. Well, not with Suspiria. No, yeah. Other I'm, than Juno. I, <laughs> oh, God. I can hear Reed just throwing his computer <laughs> at the ground right now. No, Suspiria's really good. The sequel... Or sequel, Jesus Christ. The remake. It's by the gentleman who did Call Me By Your Name. And it's Dakota Johnson, um, Academy Award winner Tilda Swinton, and uh, she's from 30 Rock, really pretty, uh, Chloe Moretz. 30 Rock? She was in 30 Rock? Oh, 30 Rock, yes. Yeah. Uh, it It's a teaser. It's very vague. I mean, the plot of the first Suspiria is not that deep. It's about a haunted fucking... Uh, dance studio in Europe that is haunted by a bunch of like a witch coven, but I don't know. We'll see. The I think with horror remakes, people always just what they think they need to do is just intensify how violent and gory it is. So we'll see if that's the case well, here. Did you watch Call Me by Your Name? No, it's. I heard it's I, pretty intense. <laughs> yes, but not in like the gore section. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not gory. Army there, Hammer just gets crucified. I mean, there's there's some stuff that happens to a peach, but yeah, that's I mean, your fiance in great passion and anger told me about that. <laughs> uh I I don't know. I wouldn't expect I would expect a very interesting horror movie from that director. Mm-hmm. So on that level, yeah. I'm interested. I kind of feel like I should watch the original first. Yeah. Uh, it's going to determine the, how the experience goes. Yeah, definitely. And also just, it's such a gorgeous film. Like, the, a lot of times I forget that it's a horror movie just because I get so excited about, like, the visuals and everything <laughs> in it. Uh, but, yeah, with Halloween, I'm interested in it just because of who's involved. David Gordon Green and um, Kenny Powers. Yep. 
All right, so we definitely straight off the look who's talking path because we, I think we literally said everything there is to say about that movie. I just need to know how you would rate it. In what, like a letter rating, yeah, uh, like a D, D minus. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna say like one star out of five, and that one star goes directly to the Travolta dance number. <laughs> yeah, that's like the saving grace from giving it the old F ski, but. Uh, yeah, it's it's really. And bad. I guess a little bit of goodwill. I don't think this was a. Uh, Christy Alley's good in it too. She, yeah, the, Christy Alley is good. It's just that she doesn't get a standout no. scene or. Her anything. character's written so to be such like a weakling. Yeah, yeah. so submissive. I I don't know if that's the case in the original. I I got hints that because of the way that Travolta talks to her in this movie, that she's supposed to be kind of a nag, mm-hmm. right? In in. But she's never a nag in this movie. No. She seems like, kind of like a sweet person <laughs> that, yeah. that cares about him, that tries to help him, cares about her brother. Uh, she seems more like a pushover than anything else. And I don't know. Like maybe, hopefully, the first movie does her character more justice. But yeah, one star. All right. So moving along. Oh, boy. Plugs. Well, okay. Next on the Summer of Travolta is Grease, which I am yes. fucking pumped about. Oh, Alex. I think so far we've been... We've agreed on every movie in the in this experiment of ours, but I think this might be our, our first big big argument. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. <laughs> I fucking love Greece. Plugs, it's only been a week since we met and I man, my life's been so jumbled with work and everything recently, but um I have two episodes left in Breaking Bad. Oh shit. Yeah. Well, why'd they have to kill Mike? <laughs> oh, you're there. You're. I, I was about to ask you what. Where they, they just end? killed Hank. Oh, yeah. Wow. Unfortunately, I had that spoiled by someone, which I can't command too much sympathy. That show's been out for like right. ever. But wait, was it one of those like you mentioned something about Breaking Bad and then they hit you with the spoiler? Yeah. Or, that's kind of an asshole move. Though. Yeah. It wasn't just like someone talking about it type thing. It was like. Yeah, I mentioned it, and then it was just spoiled for me. I think we'll reserve we'll like, have, a like brick, a, the but... contrarians percent Breaking Bad. <laughs> but having gone through everything that I've gone through on that show, because I I started it probably back in like November or December, just kind of trying to break it down since mm-hmm. then, uh, and just binge it when I can. It I, I cannot imagine having to have watched that in real time. Like, the episode before Hank is killed, the way it ends is when those Nazis just start opening uh-huh, fire. Uh, and I was like... Walt jumps into the car and yeah, cut to black. If I had to, like, watch that live, I would have had a fucking panic attack. I would have been like, no, no! Uh, so the last episode you watched, that's uh, one of the Ryan Johnson-directed ones. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's the one that has, like, that huge, like, really long opening before it even gets to the opening credits. Mm-hmm. It basically resolves everything that's happening in the in the desert. Yep. And then it goes to the opening credits. Yeah, that's... I didn't know Ryan Johnson directed that. But, yeah, and fucking Hank's death is, like... You kind of know it's coming at one point in the series. Like, you know it's going to happen, but, like, what makes it so brilliant is how just abrupt it is. Mm-hmm. He gets killed in, like, a middle of a sentence that he's yep. saying. And, yep. Um, yeah, Walt got into some bad business with those Nazis, man. <laughs> and um, Jesse Plemons, uh-huh. really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that classic character of, you know, remorseful but still thinks he's in the right for doing these yeah, things. Yeah, kind of like killing people with a smile and like a blank stare. It was like, I didn't do anything. So, yeah, like when he kills a little kid and everything. Uh-huh. But um, 
with that where I'm at, the reason I had to turn it off was when uh, he sells Jesse to the Nazis and then he just like stops him and tell, looks him in the face and said, I watched Jane die. I was just like, oh, God. <laughs> like, I literally, after that speech, I had to stop it. I was just like, I, I got to call T. I'll finish this later. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's one of those things that, that's been hanging over the series yes. for seasons. Mm-hmm. In. There was the one episode where he got really drugged up on, like, pain meds, and he almost the, admitted to it, but he did The fly episode. Yep. That's, yeah. Which... I'm the, now I'm shaking my head. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we'll do a full retrospective of Breaking Bad when I finish it. That'll probably be before next week. But uh, that's pretty much been where some most of my attention's been. I'm playing back through the Lost, uh, Last of Us, excuse me, which I love. And then I think I'm going to move on to this new game called Detroit that everyone's been talking about. So uh, keep posted. Oh. Is it about the Detroit riots? Oh no, it, no. <laughs> there are no winners in that game. I I have two little plugs. I uh, so I watched uh, Upgrade yesterday. Have you seen Ooh, the trailer for Upgrade? Yes, that looks fun. It's it's exact. That's it. It's fun, but also it's just it's pretty brilliant that they released it before Venom. Uh-huh. Because I and I said it on my Letterbox review. I just don't know how Venom can be any better than this movie. It's. It's basically the same conceit, right? He he has like this in Venom. He has the symbiote inside of him, yeah. in that enables him to be, you know, a, kind of a superhero. Here like he has that Jenny technology. Jenny Slate says a symbiote. Does she say symbiote? I don't she know. pronounces it really weird in the trailer. Uh, I mean, is, is it a real word? I, I don't know. I, I, I've always said symbiote, yeah. and I think the the Spider-Man cartoon said symbiote. Maybe that's where I picked it up. But, but yeah, it looks like a lot of fun. It, uh, yeah, it's exactly it's it's ninety minutes. It's a lot of fun. It doesn't give you time to just overthink how dumb some of the things are. It's just I had a great time, uh, and and yeah, I just not that I was super pumped to see Venom before, but now I'm even kind of like less interested because I just I feel like everything good in a Venom movie already happened in this movie. <laughs> uh, that's fair, and the guy looks like Tom Hardy. I remember uh, I had a friend that um, said it was either X2 or X3. I can't remember what happened, but The Incredibles came out before it. And it's like, man, that ruined it for me because there's no (laughs) X-Men movie they can make that's better than that. Eh, That's an unfair comparison. Fantastic Four, I mean, we've mentioned it before. That I can see a straight parallel. Uh, But no, I'll definitely have to check out that Upgrade movie. And then, yeah, you and me may have to do a Venom Go see that together. Just to oh, see. Did, did you see the announcement? Uh, I, I think I tagged you on Facebook. The announcement about the oh, potential Jared Leto, Jared Leto yeah. Joker's. Now that, <laughs> we need to go see together. Does that mean that uh, Joaquin Phoenix playing the Joker is off the table? No, no, no. That's still happening. That's a prequel. And, and this will be a, a Suicide Squad sequel. Remember when we had like 20 years <laughs> when the Joker wasn't in a movie? <laughs> And uh, and they say Jack Nicholson has a cameo. Oh, as, does he? It's old Batman. Old <laughs> Batman's dad. No, he could be old uh, Bruce Wayne, and then they could it could be the Batman the Beyond Batman thing. Beyond, yeah. yeah. Uh, my other plug is I watched my third Orson Welles movie in my entire lifetime, and I finally it finally put me on the Orson Welles bandwagon. Mm-hmm. I have you seen any Orson Welles movies? Uh, no. I know, like, War of the Worlds, like, the story oh, about the, it. Yeah. yeah. I, I've never listened to this, to this play, but I 
I watched Citizen Kane, and I've watched. Oh yeah, Touch I've of- seen Citizen Kane. Okay, how do you feel about Citizen Kane? It, it's one of those movies that I can perfectly acknowledge its place. It's just right now. It's mm, that's, yeah. that's how I feel. Good, not great. Mm. That's a quote from uh, Step Up Two. <laughs> but but yeah, uh, Citizen Eddie Kane. just at home. Yeah, <laughs> Citizen Kane. I I understand why it was such a game changer. It's everything, but you know, I don't need to watch it ever again. It was it was fine. I was, and then Touch of Evil. I just straight up don't like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I just watched The Trial, which is based on a Franz Kafka book, directed by Wells. Uh, Starring Anthony Perkins, who I'd never seen in anything other than Psycho. Yeah, and he is fantastic. He it's it's like this trippy movie where basically he wakes up and he's being accused of something. They never tell him what he's being accused about, and uh, it's just two hours of him kind of like running around trying to figure out like how to defend himself, himself, and uh, like poking holes in the system. He meets with lawyers, with judges. Uh, there's this woman that's trying to seduce him. It's just great. I mean, it, it it's tricky. Like, when I, I'm not a big fan of these kind of movies because I I think that eventually they run out of steam. Yeah. You know, like they're, they're really surreal movies. After a while, you're just like, okay, but can you tell me what's real so I can find some footing and then move forward? But this one never goes super crazy. Uh, so I, it it just remains relatable. That uh, Anthony Perkins doesn't know what the fuck's going on. Mm-hmm. But he's not playing the same note over and over. It's not like he's always confused. He's also just, at some point, he's just horny. <laughs> and there are points where he's just arrogant and angry. And it, it He goes through so many emotions. He plays, he plays also, I was just fascinated. I don't think that I could have sat through it with a different actor mm-hmm. uh, or a lesser actor. But he was just so good. Uh, Orson Welles gets his cameo, extended cameo as one of the judges. He's really good. And... Uh, it's this is how trippy the movie is. So it opens and it has like a three five minute prologue where it just tells a story uh, that's kind of related to what's going to, like a fable and it's gonna has bearing on the actual movie. And then, uh, but there's no opening credits. There's nothing. And then the movie ends and uh, and the title comes on. You know, it's the trial. And then Orson Welles starts reading the the end credits <laughs> and he's like, "This was the trial based on a." On a book by Franz Kafka. It starred Anthony Perkins and whatever. And he's reading the names, but he's not really reading them because on the screen they're going out of order and he's giving them a different order. And then it ends with uh, This was written and directed by me, Orson Welles, and I also played the judge. <laughs> and I'm like, we're on the last two, you know, 20 seconds, 30 seconds of the movie, and I'm still just captivated by everything that's happening. <laughs> uh, so. It just it made me want to watch more Orson Welles movies and it made me want to watch more Anthony Perkins movies because yeah. I've never seen anything else. I know that he did a bunch of Psycho sequels, but never really feel like I had to watch those. No. Curious about what else is in his filmography. Uh, but yeah, those are my two plugs. The Trial, which is a great trippy movie from Orson Welles starring Anthony Perkins. And... Uh, Upgrade, which is not trippy at all. It's just fun. Just straightforward. Do ends of the spectrum both a great time super like high class movie buff artsy fartsy movie and then just pure b movie sci-fi blue is the warmest color in the a team a great time (laughs) as always the festive years for opening and closing tracks their songs summer of 99 take us out and start us off always is last stand 
As always, we greatly appreciate them helping us out, lending their music our way. Also, uh, Hans Rutgeser designed our logo. Uh, he can be reached at mildemonios at hotmail.com. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. And you can also find him on Twitter at the same word, at mildemonios. <laughs> uh, he can do your logo. He can do comics for you. Or you can just listen to his podcast, Nacion Combi. Uh, that's in Spanish, but I was know, gonna say if you speak Spanish, you even if you don't, I mean that's a good way of learning. You can pick it up, yeah, or just impress someone by just saying I'm listening to this Peruvian podcast, and they don't even need to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all you have to say. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Julio, thank you again as always for being here on this trek down uh, the path of Travolta. <laughs> and a week from now, we're gonna take a trip to Rydell High, and I'm very excited about it. Because, you know, Greece is the word. I, I have so many hot takes about Greece that I, I just can't wait. It's just going to be... It's like one of the first conversations you and me ever had about movies when we first met. <laughs> was you just burying the fuck out of Greece. So, <laughs> As always, we appreciate you all tuning in, listening, downloading, doing what you do, streaming us however you listen to us. We appreciate it uh, for tuning in for more of the summer of Travolta. Uh, we're going to continue on with it. we got a lot of summer left to go. The temperatures are going to continue to rise. But for now, uh, that's going to do it for us on The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will see you for Greece. The summer of 1999.